Welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. We are here talking through five questions that Jews should be asking about Christmas. And we are on question number four. And actually, we're going to hit four and five today. Um, And the question today is, who is this child born of a virgin? Um, And so we're going to go through uh, this idea, this concept. It's a doctrine, actually, called incarnation. Um, And uh, we're going to work through some passages from the Old Testament, and we're going to tie it into um, this story of Jesus. Hey, you want to say hi, by the way? Yeah. Hi, everybody. We're back again. I'm back again. Yeah. You're barely back. I don't know if people have noticed on the last couple of podcasts, uh, you, you normally cough a lot, but... This is a little bit extra. You got something coming down the pipeline here for you, huh? It's a little in my goggle. Your goggle, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <clears throat> before he speaks, every time, before anywhere we go, he always disappears. He starts this little cough thing, and I said, what's going on? He says, I, I just have a little goggle. It's a goggle in my throat. <coughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is. All right. Um, well, give us a little bit of an intro here. Um, incarnation, um, the birth of Jesus. It yeah. says, God became flesh. Yeah, he, he this was this was something that was uh, kind of hard for for me to understand early on. I was convinced that uh, Yeshua was the Messiah by all of the prophecy and everything, uh, but it kind of uh, was a little bit of a surprise. I would say that he's God also. Um, I think maybe I thought he was a man just like everybody else, but he's not. And as I delved further into the scriptures and find out that uh, he's both man and God. Uh, In the birth of Yeshua, God became flesh. In fact, uh, in the Gospel of John, he's one of ours, by the way, Yochanan, in the first chapter, in the first verse, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word that was in the beginning with God, he was God. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, this word that he's talking about that was in the beginning was with God and was God. He says it became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, the statement that the word became flesh necessitates his pre-existence. Just like uh, we... We read earlier, maybe one or two podcasts back. Yeah, Micah, right? Yeah, in Micah, that the word became flesh, uh, and he, this word that became flesh, Micah spoke of who came from the days of eternity. You remember that? Yeah. So that, that necessitates that, that he existed at some point before this. Yeah. He's always existed. Yeah. And, and I, it's really, I always, uh, Really, this sparks a, a, a little light in me when it says he's full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory, and he is full of grace and truth. You know, all the way back in uh, the prophet Ezekiel, the glory of God departed from the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, he didn't just up and leave one day. It took about two and a half years. But he went to the threshold. He went to the eastern gate. He went to the Mount of Olives. And then he was gone. It's a slow progression. Yeah, right? from a Ezekiel slow progression. 8 to 11. Yeah, and and the the glory of God had departed from Israel. And interestingly, when Yeshua came, he took that same path uh, from the temple, probably out the eastern gate, down through the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and from that point 
was arrested, tried, and uh, and he was crucified. So, but that glory, the glory returned. But the glory, in a sense, re- returned uh, at that man. point when he came in the man. That's what they were supposed to recognize. Right, and we understand we understand superheroes that are man, right? Like Rambo comes and he's going to come save the day. Arnold Schwarzenegger, they come, right? With that that concept of the hero, a hero man coming to save us. We're all looking for that, right? The hero is going to come. Yeah. Or we can also imagine a god swooping down this supernatural force. But this is this is a, a difficult thing to wrestle with because it's God man. He's, uh, he's the God-man, uh, as my uh, professor at Talbot used to call him. The, he, he was God in a bod. God in a bod. Oh, that's cute. That's really cute. Yeah. Well, Alan so, Gomes. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is an important piece then, and, and we, we, have to, we have to understand it. We also have to accept it and believe it, is that Jesus did not begin his existence with his birth out of the womb of Mary. Right. That was not his beginning. That, that's, that's our beginning. Right? But that was not his beginning. His beginning was from the days of eternity, like Micah says. And so he he became flesh. Uh, You know, there's one translation that it says uh, he was made flesh, but it doesn't uh, doesn't communicate as well as uh, the NAS translation that he became flesh, or even the ESV. When you say he became flesh, it necessitates the fact that he pre-existed. And uh, it was, uh, he, he took on that flesh in the womb of Mary through the supernatural work of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And it was a miracle from the beginning to end. The, the Old Testament, um, we, we have to understand, if, if the Messiah is going to come and he, he enters into the world, um, it, he's also called the, the Son of God. He's also called the Son of Man. Um, does the Old Testament ever speak to this? And we have a couple of these passages that that plainly tell us. Yeah, yeah, there there are some passages, and uh, you know, he he exists. God is a triune essence. You know, the Bible says that he is spirit, and nobody can see him, and that's true until the point in time when he became flesh, and he became one of us and dwelt among us, and then we could have a sense of seeing God in humanity that can identify with us and we can identify with him. Yeah. I mean, you, you go into all kinds of he, Hebrews 4, right? He's our sympathetic high priest. Right. Um, but you also, you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, but but we have a couple passages in the Old Testament that are talking about this. In Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. And one of my favorites is in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4. It asks, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Okay, if you just stop there, who is that? It's, it's God. That's God. Right? I mean, there's nobody else who can gather the wind in his fist. There's nobody else who's wrapped the waters in a garment. Who has established all the ends of the earth? It's God. Yeah. But if we keep going, it says... It asks the question, what is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. What is his name? 
and what is his son's name? So this God who holds and gathers the wind in his fists, he he has a son. Uh, he says, surely you know. And then, of course, a huge, huge passage. This is a, a monster of a passage. Daniel 7 I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Yeah talking about the uh, second coming of the Messiah. Yeah, now all, all Jewish rabbis before the time of Jesus, they insisted that this passage is speaking of the Messiah of Israel. And it's important for us to see what the rabbis say, um, because uh, just specifically in, in this verse, you know, as you said, uh, they, they agreed that this was a messianic passage and spoke of Yeshua, Jesus. We, we look at this word, uh, incarnation. Incarnation, it, it means it's a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, spirit, or an abstract quality. That's the, the technical definition. And it, you know, we, I don't know if we even have a sense. You know, the closest that I, I feel like we get to supernatural is we watch videos. I mean, humanity is an amazing thing. To watch some of the things that people can do with their bodies, how they can bend them, the things they jump off. I mean, it's unbelievable. You see GoPro that, you know, has all of these different feats of man that that have been pulled off. But um, if it's true that God could possibly become a man and then he becomes more than just your average Joe, that is to say that the incarnation is not a diminishing of deity, but it's an addition of perfect humanity. Yeah, and, and so, you know, he set aside, uh, didn't think it was anything to be held on to, even though he was God, to become one of us. And becoming one of us was not an upgrade for him. That That's uh, what Philippians 2. Philippians 2, yeah. yeah. The great kenosis. You know, that, that passage that we started out with in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word or the Word was with God and the Word was God, um, we see that Jesus is not just a human who embodies the qualities of deity in his life. He is also deity embodied in human flesh, the God-man. Now, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, the enemy, we have an enemy in this story. In every story, there is a villain, and the villain is trying to wreck havoc upon the world um, because of pain that they've experienced. And so you see counterfeits, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and Satan is very crafty in, in how he pulls these things off. Um, I, I just want us to pay attention. Um, you know, Santa Claus is great, wonderful, um, the jolly, happy man. But I, I want you to look. If, if the enemy was up to something, uh, he would put a counterfeit up. I mean, right. everything, everything in this world, um, the enemy is always throwing up a counterfeit to the good that God has put out in this world. And so I, I saw this the other day, uh, and it's just a, it's a comparison between Jesus and Santa Claus. Now, I, I know that Santa is based on a, a real-life uh, man, Saint Nick, um, but there is, there is some... Amazing comparison. I'm going to throw this in the show notes so people can look this up. When, when, when you talk about this, we realize it's silliness. But which part? What do you mean by that? The, that uh, the comparison between Santa Claus. Yeah. Well, there is no comparison. Right. But as we look to the Santa, counterfeit, 
the counterfeit. Like, I, I think what I'm trying to say is we have mistaken. If, if the Christian world has said that Jesus is the reason for the season, I would say that the very secular, uh, what, what is worshipped in the secular community today during this season is Santa Claus is the reason for the season. The presents are the reason for the season. A- any distraction, look over here, look over here, don't look at what's really going on. And there, there's a whole list of them. I'll, I'll just hit a couple here. Jesus has white hair like wool in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.14. Santa has hair uh, that is white like wool. Um, Jesus has a beard. You could look at that in Isaiah 50, verse 6. Santa has a beard. Um, Jesus comes in red apparel. It, it, at the end of days, he'll, he'll show up in um, apparel that's dipped in blood. And Santa, he's dressed in red. The hour of Jesus's coming is a mystery. You can look at that in Luke 12. The hour of Santa's coming is also a mystery. Um, Jesus is a carpenter. Santa is a toy carpenter. Jesus comes as a thief in the night, uh, Matthew 24. Santa comes like a thief in the night, and he gets entrance through a chimney and comes down just like thieves do. Um, This is interesting, the character of God, um, characteristics. Jesus is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Santa is omnipotent. He delivers all the toys of the world in just one night. You can even go online and you can track where Santa at at any given time. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all. Santa, he knows if every single child has been good or bad, naughty or nice. Naughty or nice, yeah. And Jesus is omnipresent. Santa is omnipresent. He sees you when you are awake or asleep. He has to be everywhere at once. There's more, but... Uh, what I, I want us to just pay attention to is it's disguised as something that's friendly and fun. We even put our kids on his lap and we take pictures. Some really great pictures, by the way. But um, to, to recognize that this is the enemy trying to distract us from something that is incredibly significant. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to impose that on our Christian brothers and sisters who uh, have a deep faith in the Lord and and all of that, but it is something that has been obfuscating the culture and uh, just blurring the lines of uh, reality with uh, you know this kind of a you know Santa Claus thing and all of that. Uh, you know, it just kind of detracts from the real message. Um, let's wrap this this uh, question here. Um, you know, the reality of the incarnation. It's not about the tinsel, the blinking lights, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, and all of the, the commercialism. Uh, w- what we've been trying to do is take this story back to Act One. Um, that's where the story begins, and it's the reality of the birth of Messiah. He came to reveal the glory of the Lord. And so today, I think many people have trouble we confuse the Christmas celebration for the one who comes from the North Pole down the chimney to give presents instead of the one who came from his throne in heaven to earth to give us his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. So what do we do with all this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right after this music plays. thrown a lot at you. Uh, If you've been listening to the last few podcasts, we've been answering questions uh, uh, about this Christmas story, which is really the story of the birth of a Jewish Messiah. Now, 
question is, what do we do with all of this? It's a lot of information. What do we actually do? And uh, we want to just give you a couple of on-ramps to be able to look at some of this. Now, first and foremost, we are Jewish. Not only are we Jewish, we're very Jewish. How Jewish are we? We're, we're as Jewish as you can get, I guess. Uh, uh, if you look at our family uh, tree, you know, you'll see pictures uh, going back uh, quite a ways. You know, people in our, my Uncle Saul, uh, pictures of him in his bar mitzvah, wearing his kippah and his talit. You know, you'll see my grandmother, Bubby. She was always Bubby to me. Yeah. Working uh, in the kitchen, making whatever she's making. She's uh, cooking up a storm, man. It felt like it, it was yeah. hot in there. It was always yeah. hot. Yeah. Blintzes and matzo ball soup and uh, Passover. She'd be making fresh horseradish. She'd be in the kitchen crying her eyes out. And if you could go back uh, five generations, one of great-great-grandfathers, uh, Rabbi Shalom Kantorovich from yeah. Russia. Yeah, Shalom Kantorovich, uh, he was Bubby's father. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we have uh, pictures of him. You know, I wish I would have known more about uh, what happened to uh, my relatives, but most of them uh, were, you know, taken in the Holocaust. And uh, we never did uh, see them, and my grandparents would never talk about it. We are Jewish, and so some of you, if, if you're Jewish and you don't believe in Jesus, you might be listening, and you might not believe in Jesus, and, and we will say to you that we who are Jewish and we believe in Jesus, even though we believe in him and you don't believe in him, we're still very much alike. How are we alike? We're alike uh, because just like uh, our, our Jewish friends, whether believers or not, you know, we were born into a Jewish family. You know, we had a bris for our boys on the eighth day. That's a circumcision uh, ceremony. Uh, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we celebrate Shabbat, Friday night dinner uh, with the family. Uh, we observe all of the Jewish holidays. We love gefilte fish and chopped liver. I love it especially. I mean, just to say that you eat that and you like it yes. means that you're Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> well... I'd like to think that there was more things than that, but uh, yeah. I do like it. It's uh, it's great. Uh, like like our Jewish friends, when we're sick, we kvetch, we complain, <laughs> and then we get some matzah ball soup. In fact, uh, I smell the soup. It's going on upstairs right now. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Our kids, we put them through Hebrew, and they had to have a bar and bat mitzvah. And we've been to Israel uh, more than 30 times as a family, and we love Israel, the nation of Israel and the people. And so you start yeah. to listen to that and you think like, okay, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. We're alike. We're yeah. alike. Absolutely alike. And the truth is we're not at all alike. We're not alike at all. So we're different. Uh, and what makes us different? Um, and, and really, like, that is a long story. Um, there's a lot going on. But all of that leads to this question. We, we're throwing a question within a question. And the question is, can, can a Jew really believe in Jesus and still be Jewish? And I, I would say, uh, how is it that uh, if a Jewish person believes in a Jewish Messiah predicted by the Jewish prophets in the Jewish scriptures, how does he become not Jewish? That's right. So that's a bit of your story, right? That, you, you're the old man here in the group. Oh boy, oh Gavalt. <laughs> you always say, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, so I could be close to my mother. Seems to be... Uh, the way it was. Give us just the quick. How how does a Jew like you believe in Jesus? And you are obviously still very Jewish. Yeah. Well, I, I was part of an Orthodox Jewish family, obviously. Uh, my grandparents came from Russia uh, on one side, and on the other side, on my mother's side, from Poland and Lithuania. 
and uh, they were all uh, Orthodox Jews. In fact, my grandfather had a kosher butcher shop in Brooklyn where my father worked as he worked his way into the business and then decided he didn't like being a butcher. So uh, that ended that, but uh, they all came here through Ellis Island as immigrants from those places in Eastern Europe, and uh, growing up as a young Jewish boy in New York, I was steeped in Jewish tradition, observing the holidays, uh, surrounded by Jewish community, like-minded people who observed the same things. Uh, we were all Act One Jews, if you, if you know what we're talking about. We, we moved, when I was a kid, to California, and we moved from living in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood in, a, in Brooklyn to an area in Southern California that was at that time known as Derry Valley, and uh, we could count all of the Jews that were in our neighborhood on one hand, and just, we all knew each other. Just like here in Kentucky. And, and yeah, <laughs> and, and we all hung out together. Uh, I, I went to synagogue and Hebrew school that was closest to our home. I probably would have rather been outside playing ball, but I went, I made friends with other kids on the block. They were all Gentiles. In my mind, they were all Christians. And, you know, to me, if you weren't a Jew, you were a Christian. And I grew up learning that uh, Gentiles are good people and they pay their taxes. Just don't turn your back on them. That's what my grandmother, my grandfather told me. Oh, boy. Okay, I seemed to have a lot of uh, friends in the neighborhood. A lot of them were Catholic. And I was playing one time with a buddy of mine. In fact, his name was Buddy. And we were on the ground playing marbles. And when he leaned forward, this little thing on a chain fell out of his T-shirt. And it was a little cross with a man on it. And I said to him, I said, Buddy, what is that? Because I had never seen one before. And he looked at me as if I was some sort of a nut, you know, ignoramus, which I was. And he said, it's a crucifix. <laughs> and I still didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and... So he could probably tell that I still didn't understand what he was saying. And so I asked him for a little bit more explanation. And he said, it's Jesus. And I said, oh. And I still didn't know what he meant when he said it was Jesus. So I, I remember going home that day, and I remember telling my mother about this little man named Jesus that Buddy had that he was wearing around his, his neck. And I, I wanted one just like Buddy had. So I asked him, Mom, can I have one of those? Uh, and she just had such a look on her face, and uh, she, she said to me in very emphatically, no. And I asked her why not, and she said, because he's not for you. And so when your mother, Jewish mother tells you that he's not for you, something's not for you, as a kid, you know, say, okay, it's not for me. You don't you know? question it. You just shut up and walk yeah, away. It's not the end of the world. Right. So uh, that's the way it was until I was 26 years old. I never questioned it. Jesus was not for me. And something absolutely nuts happened when I was 26. I remember my Jewish mother who had said that Jesus was not for me. One evening, uh, we were having dinner with my mom and dad, and my mom was acting a little happy and giddy and kind of jumping around the house and smiling, which was unusual because she had been sick for a couple of years and on some heavy medication. And I figured, well, okay, that's fine. That's good, she's feeling better. Uh, but then she said, we have something to tell you. You've heard of Hebrew Christians, right? I said, no, I don't think so. You know, it sounds kind of like an oxymoron to me. Right. At which point she said with all of her non-subtlety, well, your father and I are Hebrew Christians. We believe in Jesus and his real name is Yeshua. Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, what in the world does that make me? You know, 
I've been Jewish my whole life, and now my parents have gone haywire. Well, the question you should be asking yourself, is he for you? And the whole thing kind of ruined, you know, what usually takes place when the young young, uh, kid or adult gets to go home and say, Mom, Dad, sit down, I got something to tell you. It worked exactly the opposite. Uh, They had something to tell me. And uh, it changed the course of your life. It it did, and and it it changed the trajectory of everything. And uh, I spent several months trying to disprove them. She she said at the time, "Can I read you something out of the Bible?" And I said, "Well, it's got to be my Bible." She said, "It's Isaiah." I said, "Is that in my Bible?" And so she started to read Isaiah fifty three, and she read the whole chapter. And when she got to the end, she said, "Who does that sound like?" I said, "It sounds like Jesus. What's he doing in my Bible?" And so she said, they had reached the end. They were brand new believers. They didn't know a heck of a lot more. And they said, you have to go to this, uh, this man and talk to him. He's got his PhD. He's a Sephardic Jew. And uh, he can explain all of these things to you. So I went to him with the objective of proving him wrong. And in uh, a few months of arguing with him, just about every day, because his office was just down the street from my office, and uh, I ran out of arguments. Hmm. He said, do you want to accept Jesus now? And I said, why? Is that going to make you happy? <laughs> and uh, oh, You've said, always been easy, haven't you? <laughs> I said, I don't know if I believe him, uh, if I believe that all of this. And he says, accept him now. You'll believe later. That's not exactly the best evangelical approach I would suggest, but it actually happened out that way. Um, you know, I was convinced of the truth before I was convicted of my sin, I say all the time. And uh, when I left there, I had sort of a new perspective on life. And now all of a sudden, I'm reading and studying with a different slant on it. And I realized uh, that this Jesus, Yeshua, is really my Messiah, came for me, died for me, rose from the dead. And I found that all over in my Hebrew scriptures and in the Brit Chadashah, which are the New Covenant scriptures. And by the way, uh, Jeremiah told us about 600 years before Yeshua was even born that the days were coming when God will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that he made when they took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, but this will be the covenant that I will make with them after those days. And he goes on to explain this new covenant that he is going to make with Israel. I couldn't come to any other conclusion that if anybody is going to be the Messiah, it has to be him. That's when you knew that this fella, that this Jesus who is not for you, became for you became for me not only did he became for me he came for me there you go (laughs) well hey uh the question you should be asking yourself and as a wrap up to all of this and everything that we've been doing uh in this season we want the birth of jesus to be relevant to our jewish people just like the messiah intended it to be and so we've been highlighting this incarnational story through jewish eyes And we wanted to provide an understanding of what this word incarnation could mean if you are a Jew reading this. And we will be the first ones to tell you uh, that even though this has been a lot, uh, we we wrote a lot, we talked a lot, we cut a lot, but there's a lot to this. We would be the first ones to tell you we'd rather just grab a bagel and some lox and schmear and maybe a a corned beef sandwich and talk face to face. 
Um, but also we want the birth of Jesus to be relevant to our Christian brothers and sisters. We want to reclaim uh, the Jewishness of Jesus, especially in his birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's up to you on how you're going to celebrate and commemorate this time. It really is. But wherever you find yourself during this season, our hope is that you find yourself getting a little curious. Uh, this means for many of us, uh, we need to begin to challenge some of our preconceived notions and traditions and seriously contemplate what the birth of this baby, the promised Messiah of Israel, means for us today. So if you missed, and this is the first uh, episode that you've been listening to, then go back and listen to the last few and you'll get a, a little bit of a summary on all of this. But if you're more of a reader, go online to thejewishroad.com slash Christmas, and we will explain all of this. We have a 30-page uh, ebook on there. It's called The Five Questions That Every Jew Should Be Asking About Christmas. And uh, we hope that this has been helpful for you. Um, With this episode, we're going to call it a wrap for season one. And uh, it's been a good season. It's been uh, interesting, huh? Yeah, it's been good. I'm not into rap, but it was good. That was, (laughs) you took that a different, yeah. Had to to do that. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Jewish Robe Podcast. And until we see you Again, or you hear from us again, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It will prosper who love you. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs>